What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for wrapping up your week with us. This is your Friday edition of Fantasy MLB Today, which is, of course, a sports ethos presentation. I am your host, Joe Orico, and you can find me on Twitter at JoeOrico99. Also, check out Ethos Fantasy BB. That is where all of our new baseball and fantasy baseball content gets dropped from. Podcasts, articles, different work that goes out right on Twitter. It's all there for you in your feed at Ethos Fantasy BB. And of course, sportsethos.com if you guys want to go right to the source for all of our content. All four major sports, wagering, fantasy, of course. All of that is at sportsethos.com as well. We are going to be looking back on some of the major events that have happened over the last couple of days, a couple of signings. There was a big trade today involving my Toronto Blue Jays. We're going to talk about that. Trevor Bauer being reinstated. We're going to touch on that. And we're going to talk about, of course, like I said, a couple of signings that have happened over the last couple of days. Not all of them, but just a couple of important ones that really matter to us for, for fantasy purposes. So let's start off with this trade. As I'm recording, it just happened about an hour ago. I wanted to record right when I saw it. I had to do a couple of things, but... Sitting down as soon as I can to talk about this one. The Blue Jays have acquired Dalton Varsho from the Arizona Diamondbacks. Hard to even you know, believe it as I say it, but Dalton Varsho is a member of the Toronto Blue Jays. We have traded, Toronto has traded, Gabriel Moreno and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. It appears that is the trade. Now, I'm still kind of expecting some pieces to come in here. Uh, I don't know that this is going to be the entirety of the trade. I would be kind of surprised if Toronto doesn't get another piece back. It feels like we've given up kind of a lot. I mean, it feels fairly even, but it's also, you know, Gabriel Moreno has been the number one prospect in baseball. He was never the number one fantasy prospect, but I think Baseball America had him listed as the number one prospect just during this past baseball season. Big news. Like, this is a big trade. You don't usually see a prospect of that ilk get traded. It does happen from time to time. Now, Originally seeing Moreno for Varsho, I was I was happier than seeing Lourdes Goriel Jr. added in there as well. But at the same time, I don't think it really makes that much of a difference. As much as I really like Goriel and I'm going to miss seeing him in Toronto, he had a lot of big moments. He's obviously known for some clutch hits. He's awesome with the bases loaded. Always been a grand slam machine. I'm going to miss him, but I don't think that it really matters that much to this lineup. The outfield is going to be Springer, it's going to be Varsho, and it's going to be Kiermaier, however it is that they shake it down. And, you know, Mike Curlin was talking about this on Twitter right when it happened. If only the Blue Jays had Teoscar Hernandez, you know, a type of bat like Teoscar Hernandez there, then this offense would look ridiculous. It already looks really good, but it's still a head-scratcher to me, the Teoscar Hernandez trade. I think if you had him there instead of Kiermaier, and then you put, you know, probably Springer in left, Varsho in center, I think that would probably have made sense. And then Teoscar Hernandez still in right field. I would have probably preferred that opposed to the way it worked out when we traded and we got Eric Swanson and we got another minor league piece back as well. I can't even remember who at this point. Doesn't look like the greatest trade specifically. I mean, I know we haven't even played games yet, but just looking at the way that the lineup looks, it's a hole there for sure. But in terms of this trade that happened today, you got to be happy as a Blue Jay fan. Gabriel Moreno was blocked. He was not going to have a role on this team, considering Alejandro Kirk and Danny Jansen are already there and established in the catcher roles. And the pitchers really like throwing to them, specifically Danny Jansen. There is a rapport there between members of the rotation and Jansen. And even Kirk has come a long way as a defensive catcher as well. I think pitchers really don't mind throwing to him either. I think with Moreno, there wasn't going to be much opportunity for him as a catcher on this team to really excel, to really even get playing time. It was a chance, you know, we talked with Matt Williams a couple days ago about ADP trends and ADP draft strategies, things like that. 
And we were talking about this, and I said I didn't expect a trade to happen before the season. I didn't think that the market was really there for a team looking for a catcher. A catcher-for-catcher swap will obviously, you know, change that tune a little bit. And Varsho is not strictly a catcher, and honestly, at this point in his career, he doesn't really want to be a catcher anymore from what he has made clear. He didn't catch at all, I don't believe, after June of last year. I think that was when he was playing exclusively in the outfield. I'm just going through fan graphs here, seeing the last time that he caught. He did come in defensively as a catcher a couple times uh, as a replacement during games. But June the 9th was the last time he started a game at catcher. He doesn't really want to catch anymore. He doesn't really need to catch anymore in Toronto outside of perhaps if there is some kind of you know, injury or something happens where he needs to you know, just give the other guy a break maybe if you know, you know, they have Kirk DHing Jansen behind the plate all the time. They want to throw Varsho back there, whatever. It's a nice luxury to have, anyway. Another guy who is capable of playing catcher. Now, Varsho will slot in, I think, somewhere in the middle of this lineup. That's not too much of a hot take there. I think he's probably going to be the fifth or sixth hitter. Uh, roster Resource has him listed as the sixth hitter right now. I would expect him to probably bat fifth ahead of Matt Chapman just to break up that lineup. And it wouldn't even shock me to see him bat fourth and have Alejandro Kirk fifth. I'm really not sure how they are going to break this down. I, I think that it works regardless of how they do it, really. I think the lineup is, is a lot stronger. I think that, you know, obviously Teoscar Hernandez there would be another huge boost, and it sucks. Um, but you have to look at what we have and the way that we have improved this offseason at the same time, and it's hard not to be happy as a Blue Jay fan. Uh, Dalton Varsho is somebody who you can probably count on for about 20 home runs, maybe 10 to 15 stolen bases is where I would probably expect him to be. He had 16 this past season. He's very quick. Uh, but hard to say exactly how many steals he's going to get. Maybe just not being a catcher anymore will make him, you know, he, he won't have as much strain on his legs from catching. Maybe he will be more inclined to steal a few more bases. Maybe we see that 16 push up to 20 steals. I think you can safely say it's going to be 10 to 15 to go along with probably 20 home runs with decent counting stats in the middle of that lineup. Probably 80 runs, 80 RBIs you can count on. And the average is not going to be great. We already know this. Probably... You know, career 235 hitter over his 283 games. Granted, not a big sample size. Most of it came this year where he batted 235. I think you're probably going to see somewhere in that general kind of range. In the minor leagues, he did have some batting averages that were quite a bit higher. But at the major league level, he hasn't really had that yet. So can't really look at batting averages as an asset. You're getting probably 240, 250 would be best case scenario. But I think it's still a win for the Blue Jays. And for fantasy purposes, I think that it is a boost as well for him. I don't think we're going to be moving him up really anywhere in terms of catcher rankings, but you feel a lot better about taking him. Not that you didn't feel good before about taking him, uh, but right now where he's going, pick 52, you're getting him somewhere probably in the third round, fourth round, you know, somewhere in that general vicinity. Minimum pick was 34, maximum was 92. He's in a better team. He's still going to have that catcher eligibility for this season, at least. You know, I don't know that he will retain it past this year. Very unlikely, barring an injury to one of the Blue Jays catchers, that he will catch enough to keep that eligibility in most formats. Now, in Yahoo, I believe you just need five games. There's a decent chance he gets behind the plate five times this year and maintains that. Uh, But in terms of NFBC leagues, I don't think you're going to see it beyond this year. And it's something to think about for Dynasty leagues as well. We don't really talk Dynasty too much on the podcast. But, you know, it was already looking like he wasn't going to play much catcher going forward because he had said that he didn't want to play much catcher. Now he is really, truly blocked. I mean, if it's between him and Carson Kelly, you know, they're those two guys platooning, then likely he would have maintained that eligibility another year. 
when he's the third catcher on the depth chart now. I don't know that that's likely, but you're still going to see a very good fantasy season out of our show. Likely a slight improvement from what we were going to see in Arizona. Nothing to really drastically move him up too much. He's still going to be my number two catcher heading into next season. As far as you know, right now, of course, there's a long offseason still to go. There's still a few months. Things can change. But right now, I uh, haven't really moved him around at all, specifically in terms of those catcher rankings. Now let's talk about the Arizona side, Lourdes Scoriel and Gabriel Moreno. <clears throat> I think that there's a decent chance these guys are both in the starting lineup. I'm not sure what they're going to do with Carson Kelly, according to Fangraph's roster resource. As of right now, of course, this is still brand new. They're trying to figure out what exactly these teams are going to do. Carson Kelly is still listed as the catcher in the seventh hole in the lineup. Lourdes Gurriel, the sixth hole as the left fielder. Gurriel should start, I think, but at the same time, they're not short of outfielders out there in Arizona. They did just lose one of their outfielders, so there is a chance that Gurriel will make some more time in the outfield because of the lack of Dalton Varsho. But they still got Corbin Carroll. They still got Jake McCarthy. They have Gurriel. Uh, Pavin Smith, I believe, plays infield and outfield a little bit. I forget exactly uh, where he usually is, but I think he is somebody who can go back and forth. And then you also have Kyle Lewis. Um, yeah, so they're not exactly lacking for outfielders. Uh, it's kind of curious that Gurriel was the piece that they wanted back in that trade. As the, Maybe that's just the way the cookie crumbled. Kind of strange to see them go for another outfielder because it wasn't really a need of theirs. They could have traded Varsho, not taken back any outfielders. Pretty happily had Kyle Lewis starting there in left field or wherever they wanted to start him. Uh, a little bit strange, but I think Gurriel will still get his ABs in between left field, between DH. He is clearly better than Pavin Smith, I think. Uh, he should get time over him if it comes down to that. I think he's still going to be uh, you know, a decent fantasy asset. It's hard to say how much this is really going to move him. I don't think it will be too, too much. His price is pretty cheap so far for next season. Uh, Gurriel's draft price, 249 I don't think that this is a massive move one way or the other for him. I was already expecting a bit of a bounce back from Gurriel. We've talked about this a little bit because of the lack of power he showed this year. It was really an anomaly. He is closer to a 20 home run guy. This year, only five dingers, and it's not something that you can really expect long term from him. He should bounce back. Counting stats should be pretty good. You have to assume 75 and 75 in terms of runs and RBIs. That's fairly reasonable. Okay, maybe not 75 runs, maybe maybe 65 to 70 kind of runs. The thing is with him, we haven't really seen a full season other than 2021. And in that full season, 141 games, he had 21 homers, 84 ribbies. He batted 276. I think that is what he is capable of. And throwing in, you know, a couple of steals, he's really not a fast guy. But he can throw in a couple of steals for you there, which, of course, is, you know, not nothing in terms of fantasy. You'd probably like more than, you know, one, two, three, four steals from an outfielder. But you'll still take it. I think that his fantasy outlook doesn't really change too much. I think the outlook of any player fantasy-wise that changes the most in this trade is probably Gabriel Moreno. Now, according to Fangraphs, he is currently listed on the bench. But I would not at all be surprised to see him play over Carson Kelly to see at least equal playing time to see what they have there. I think that there's a potential for him to have maybe a semi-breakout considering the fact that he's going to be playing more in Toronto. You, we just weren't going to see him playing that much. When he was called up to the bigs, he played 25 games. He batted 319. He was really good, but there just wasn't room for him on the big league roster considering the other talent they have at the backstop position. So he's a little more free and clear now. Only Carson Kelly to block him. Worst case scenario should be some kind of platoon. Best case scenario is that Moreno wins the job and becomes the everyday starting catcher for them over there. 
Now, he's still going fairly cheap in terms of drafts. 290 is his ADP in draft champions. I think that that makes a lot of sense for him. Uh, if I had known he was going to be on Arizona before you know, we started doing drafts, I, I think that, you know, especially that draft I did, funnily enough, when we were in Arizona, uh, I would have been inclined to take him a little bit higher. I ended up with Carson Kelly as my second catcher. My, both my catchers that I took, as a side note, in that draft champions – Travis Darno and Carson Kelly. Uh, I really shouldn't have waited on catcher. My catcher situation is looking like shit at the moment there. I'm going to have to figure myself out when the draft picks up in January. I'm not sure about Kelly's outlook. I don't think it's that great. He's currently going uh, about 85, 90 picks below Gabriel Moreno. Kelly at 366. And Moreno, like we said, uh, I believe it's 280, 290. 290 is where he's going. So you're getting him about 70 picks uh, ahead of Carson Kelly, and I think that that's probably going to even, you know, the gap is going to widen a little bit more. People will see Moreno now having this role, whether he's not blocked, he's not blocked by, you know, two, I'm not going to say elite catchers, but two fantastic catchers, the best catching tandem in baseball. He doesn't have to sit behind that anymore. Carson Kelly has shown flashes in the past of being really good, but he's also not not the greatest. I mean, I, I like him. I think that he is okay. Uh, but in terms of, you know, whether it's going to be him or Moreno getting the bulk of the playing time, you figure they're going to go with the top prospect, the guy who has shown fantastic plate discipline, the guy who should turn into a star. I mean, Gabriel Moreno has what it takes to be a star hitter. I don't know if he's going to be a massive home run producer, but I think that he should still be close to a 300 hitter in his career. I think that that is totally reasonable to expect 280 to 300 kind of range throwing in a handful of home runs. He's going to steal a few bases for you behind the plate as well. I really like his draft price right now at 290. I think that there is not really much wrong you can get. I mean, especially if you're talking not much wrong you can get. Apologies there. Horrible phrasing. I think you guys know what I'm talking about. You can't really go too wrong taking Gabriel Moreno here at pick 290. I think that it makes a lot of sense in your two catcher formats to speculate on him there. Even a little bit higher up, I wouldn't mind taking him as high as probably 250. If you're looking at some of the catchers going ahead of him, Jonah Heim, Christian Vasquez, Logan Ohapi. I think that one's probably pretty close between him and Ohapi, uh, but I think that I'd take them both over Vasquez and uh, Jonah Heim. And you can maybe even argue Yasmany Grandal, uh, depending on how you view him and potential for a bounce back next season. But Moreno should be moving up the boards here a little bit when he's <clears throat> when he, <clears throat> excuse me, guys. Uh, I'm still a little bit sick here. I've been kind of sick in and out for the last couple of weeks. Uh, still feel it in my throat a little bit. So apologies there. Uh, I think in terms of Moreno's outlook, he's probably going to be like a close to a top 15 catcher. That would be what I would expect. Uh, I think that he should play majority of the time. We're, we're still we're going to have to see what they end up doing. Uh, but it wouldn't make that much sense, I don't think, to have Moreno just sit behind Carson Kelly and play 35 games and just, you know, it just doesn't really make much sense. I, I think that they are going to play him, and I think that it makes sense to draft him here if you're talking about your 15-team, two-catcher formats. If you're talking about 12-team leagues, 10-team leagues, I don't really know that he is going to cut it. If you're talking two-catcher formats, any two-catcher formats, he is going to cut it. If you're talking a 10-team league where you have just one catcher, I don't know that he is going to be one of those top 10 guys. Even a 12-team league, I think you could maybe make the argument for a 12-teamer that you could have him as your catcher if you want to wait, not take a catcher until like your last couple of picks because that's where he's going to be going. If you're talking Yahoo, uh, CBS, fan tracks, ESPN, wherever, you're not going to see him go that high up where he is going to be uh, that much of an asset in one catcher leagues. I think you're still going to be able to take him fairly late, and I think it makes sense. 
if you're talking last pick and you want to just speculate because there are going to be probably better options. Uh, it, it probably makes the most sense in those kind of leagues to have him to draft him as like your last pick, but to have another catcher waiting as well, just in case there is a platoon, just in case the D backs do any kind of funny nonsense and maybe, you know, send them down or whatever, whatever bullshit. I don't really expect that, uh, but it is definitely a possibility that he doesn't have full playing time. So there is a little bit of a risk, but I think overall I would be fairly happy to take that risk. So Moreno at 290, speculate. Speculate on him there. Uh, The price is going to go up a little bit if you're drafting right now. Uh, I have no problem taking him there. And just a side note, too, when I was listing off uh, D-backs outfielders, I didn't even mention Alec Thomas. Uh, he's I'd forgotten about him. He's not even listed here on the major league roster according to roster resource maybe i'm just missing him but he's not listed on the major league roster as of right now that's another center fielder another outfielder there in arizona that might compete for playing time i just think that that's really strange the way that they chose to go about adding guriel as that second piece i think it's a fair trade for both teams doesn't make the most sense the guriel part of it but Moreno for Varsho, I think, is a pretty good trade for both sides. Uh, it, it fills a need for both teams, and, and I think it makes a lot of sense. But we spent a lot of time on this, of course, as a Blue Jay fan. I do tend to get more into these Toronto conversations, and this is obviously a fairly big trade for fantasy, so we give you a, a bit more of a deep dive on that one. Let's talk about the next bit of news, and I honestly, I don't want to talk about this. Uh, it's not something that I want to have as a topic, but it is still, I think, it's fairly important that we address it anyway. Trevor Bauer has been reinstated. His uh, his suspension was reduced to 194 games, down from 300 and some odd. <clears throat> it was 324 games, but it has been reduced to 194. Uh, there was an arbiter, arbitrator, uh, arbitrator who reduced the suspension now, and he is reinstated. The Dodgers have until January 6th to decide whether or not to bring him back. The jokes almost write themselves there. But I I just don't really know what to feel about Trevor Bauer. I, I, I know that I don't like him as an individual. I know that the press can sometimes take a hold of these things, and you don't really know the whole story. What we have, What we know about Trevor Bauer is really not good, and I don't like <clears> – <throat> I know this is fantasy baseball – and we are trying to win titles, and we are trying to make money, you know, compete against our friends for bragging rights, and industry leagues, you're trying to seem like you're the best, most knowledgeable analyst, and yada, yada, yada. Excuse me, guys. But there is still something here with Trevor Bauer where I just don't want any part of him. Like, I I know that, and the, the shitty thing is, he's probably a value at his current draft price, which is about pick 700 right now, that's where he's going, and he is likely, you know, a fairly, a fairly decent guy to speculate on if you're just talking about straight up fantasy. But yeah, six seventy one is his ADP in draft champions. At that point, he can't really hurt you. But at the same time, I don't really want anything to do with him. Like, will he get signed by a team? Almost certainly, there will be a team that throws a bit of money at him, even if it's a one year deal, two year deal, or something. There are desperate teams. We see professional organizations, sports sports teams that don't really care about the moral aspect. You know, look at the Cleveland Browns with Deshaun Watson. That's probably the most morally awful thing in sports that we've seen in a long time. Uh, the, the the amount of allegations against him, the, the pretty clear-cut, you know, 
we know he did it. We know Deshaun Watson pretty much did what he was accused of doing, whether you want to talk about fully to the degrees of, you know, did he do every single thing that they accuse him of or whatever. When there are that many people coming forward against you, many of them not even seeking monetary compensation, you know that they did something. And the team, the Cleveland Browns, gave him the highest guaranteed contract in the history of the NFL, five years, $250 million or some ridiculous number. It goes to show you that sports teams will do what they think is best for the team, even if it doesn't really look the greatest in the public's eye. Someone will probably pick up Trevor Bauer. Whether it's the Dodgers or not, I don't know. Uh, the Dodgers have said, according to a couple of sources, I think Bob Nightingale was one of them, so hard to say what you know how reliable that is. But according to him, he doesn't expect them to retain his uh, the services of Bauer, that he will be a free agent. So... Will he get picked up by another team? I think it's likely he will. Personally, for me, I guess I'll put him in my ranking somewhere. I'll figure out where to rank him after after we know where he's going to pitch because if we're just talking about his talent as a pitcher, he is a good pitcher. You know, you take away all the personal stuff. He can go out there and he can produce. We don't know how well he is going to produce, uh, but the last couple of seasons for him have been incredible. So will he get a job? Likely he will get a job. For me, I just can't see myself buying in. I just, I really dislike the guy. And I know that's not the fantasy analysis many people would want to hear. But I just, from a moral standpoint, I, I don't want anything to do with Trevor Bauer. I think that he is, I, I don't want to look at him on my on my lineup week in and week out. And even if he has a good start, I think I'll still just be like, you know, it, it's it, it'll feel icky having Trevor Bauer on your team. Maybe you guys feel differently. Maybe there are people out there who can ignore all that stuff. God bless you if you can, and you just focus on the money, which is really what you should be doing, I suppose, if you're talking about fantasy, you're talking about bragging rights. But there, for me, is a certain way about how you get there, and I just really can't get behind uh, behind Trevor Bauer considering the things that he's been accused of, the things that we expect him to have done, the things we know he has done, even if it was possibly overblown by the media. We don't really know the full extent of the story, obviously. But I do think that, uh, for me, I just don't want to be setting my lineups and looking at Trevor Bauer, regardless of where he goes. If it's the Dodgers, if it's wherever, if it's the worst team in baseball, best team in baseball, I think he might have some fantasy value, but I just can't really see myself getting behind him. So I'll leave it there. Uh, I don't want to get too controversial, but it's something that you need to address, I think. We're talking about baseball. He is a former Cy Young winner, only a couple of years removed. We know he can go out there, and he can do crazy things on the mound. <clears throat> we saw it in 2020. We saw it for short stretches in 2021. We've seen it spread out throughout his career as well. We've seen some terrible years from him, uh, but he's also given you incredible fantasy seasons as well. So it needs to be addressed. For me personally, he is going to be off the board. I'll still include him in rankings, assuming he signs somewhere, because maybe he doesn't. Maybe... Teams take the moral high ground and he has to go play in Korea or something like that or Japan. I don't know. Rooting for that outcome so I don't have to really worry about it because I don't really want to deal with ranking him and looking at his name and all the rest of it. I'm not a Trevor Bauer guy. I think I've made that pretty clear in the last couple minutes here. Not a big fan of him. Uh, If we do get confirmation that he is going somewhere, in fact, then we'll rank him. If not, maybe we will still rank him regardless. But it's kind of funny. Right now, Steamer hasn't projected for one inning pitched. I don't know how they got to that outcome. I don't know if that's from today or from before. I haven't really been looking at Trevor Bauer's projections in any way, shape, or form. I didn't expect this. But they haven't projected for one inning. Uh, I don't know where they get that from. Kind of funny. 
but anyway, let's move on here. We will talk about the next thing. A couple more things uh, to talk about today. A couple of signings. First of all, this one I think is kind of funny. Michael Conforto signing with the Giants. Two years, $36 million. Now, I've heard... I think there's an option part of the deal. I think that there is maybe the second... Oh, it's an opt-out. That's what it is. There's an opt-out for the second year. So Conforto can rebound his value after missing the entirety of 2022, and he can go back out there on the market after the season and get himself a bigger deal, potentially. Something kind of funny I want to talk about first, though, is everybody's saying, you know, the Giants didn't want Carlos Correa because of the injury risk, and then they go and take Michael Conforto, who's just missed an entire year, and I think it's a false equivalency. I don't think you can look at the two things and say that they are in any way, shape, or form related necessarily. You're talking about an outfielder versus a shortstop. You're talking about $36 million versus $350 million. You can't just say, yeah, they didn't want to sign this guy, so they signed that guy, and they don't care about injury risk. and blah, blah. It's like if you're signing a, a shortstop like Correa, who has missed quite a bit of time in his career. Recently, the last couple of years have been a bit better, but he's still missed quite a bit of time. Uh, if you're signing him to a 13-year deal, there is much more reason to be cautious than there is giving essentially a one-year deal to Michael Conforto. Uh, I, a lot of people are trying to equate the two things. I think it's ridiculous. I don't think that they are related in any way, shape, or form. The only way that you can relate them is by saying, okay, they needed to fill another bat in the lineup because the Correa deal fell through. I don't know why the Correa deal fell through. They say it's because of an old injury. Maybe it is. Maybe that's total bullshit. Maybe they just said that because they wanted to go back on the deal. Even if that is the case, which is embarrassing, first of all, that is embarrassing if San Francisco did that. But I don't think we can look at it and say they wanted to replace that Correa with Conforto. Completely different players, different positions, different term, different dollar value per year. I, I don't understand people trying to draw those two things together. In terms of what he can do on a baseball field, it's kind of a mixed bag over the years, mostly good. But if you know, you look at 2020, where he was incredible, over 54 games, he had nine homers, 40 runs, 31 driven in, he stole three bases, and he had a 322 batting average. Like he was incredible, 158 WRC plus. 2021, he plays 125 games. He hits 14 long balls. He bats 232. You know, those counting stats were fairly similar to what we saw over the shortened year where he played 70 fewer games. He had a bad 2021. That's the last we saw of him. Now, at the same time, he is still a very good on-base guy. He walks 12% of the time for his career, striking out about league average at 23%, 24%, maybe a hair over league average. But the walk rate at 12 is incredible. He gets on base for you, and I think that overall, I think he's going to be a decent value this year, assuming that the price doesn't get too out of hand, because I could definitely see the price getting out of hand. It's currently not too bad. Uh, let me just pull up San Francisco here. I believe he's in the 230 kind of range. Uh, where do we have him? 248. 248 is where Michael Conforto is going. Would not be surprised to see him jump up a little bit. I think in this range, I'm very comfortable because there's not really that much you can lose, specifically in a 12-team league. If you're in a shallower format where you can drop him, you can make him the last pick of your draft. If you're going, you know, ADP is going to vary a little bit by site, but just this is what we have to go on right now, the NFBC data. If he's going to pick 248 in your 12-team league, he is going to be one of the last picks off the board. At that point, take all the Michael Conforto you want because there are a lot of, there are not going to be that many guys at that point of the draft who have close to 30 home run upside who can give you some steals and who can also get on base a shit ton like Conforto can, 356 career on base. 
I just think if the price gets pushed up, because that's what happens when signings happen, like if he goes up 50 slots or something, then I'd be a little more concerned than I wouldn't be quite as happy to draft him. I still think that he's going to have some value. Like if he had had his most recent full year, like last year and he hadn't missed the year, I do think that we would be seeing him go a little bit higher than this, despite the fact that he had the low batting average. He's still a guy who gets on base a hell of a lot for you. He can has he has the potential to steal a lot of runs, drive in a lot with that power, like we saw over between 2017 and 2019, 27, 28, and 33 home runs. Now, there was a, some juicing of the ball, specifically in 2019, but I think the power is relatively legit, even a 20-25 home run expected outcome I think is pretty reasonable steamer has him down for 19 I think that that is totally fair steamer's got him for 19 65 66 and a 244 average now I think that average is I mean that's generally what he's done in his career 255 but I think that he has the potential to do a little bit better than that we've seen him have really good seasons even in his you know 270 in his rookie year followed by 220 followed by 279, and then, of course, he had that crazy year of 322 in the short year, which was because he had a 412 BABIP. He had a crazy year that season. It was a short sample. You can't look at it as anything more than really a hot stretch, but he is capable of hitting a lot more than 244. Like, he can easily hit you 270 over a season, and he have you on, give you an on-base that's, like, upper threes, 37, 38 on-base percentage. So I I think at this price, assuming he doesn't go up too much higher, I'm going to be very interested in Conforto. In the middle of that lineup, I don't think it's going to be a great lineup. And specifically, I mean, Christ, it it doesn't look great now that Correa's taken out of there. Brandon Bell, or Brandon Crawford, excuse me, uh, back in at shortstop. Uh, I think he was going to be slotted in at third. I'm not sure how they had it all broken down as of a couple days ago. It's not the greatest lineup, but, you know, he's listed as the sixth hitter. I think he'll probably end up as the fifth hitter. Batting behind Hanniger and Jock Peterson, and then you got Estrada and Yastrzemski right at the top of the lineup. Should be some decent RBI potential for him. I don't think the runs are going to be that great necessarily, but, uh, you know, in the, it's hard to say what the Giants are going to do. I think they could be a decent team. I don't think they're going to be as good as maybe we thought they were, were going to be, but they got a really good starting rotation. They got a nice bullpen, and we're going to talk about a piece they added to their bullpen uh, in a second here. I think that it could be a pretty good team overall. I think that Conforto could give you, you know, my projection as of right now, I'm going to say 23 homers, 75 runs, 70 ribbies, and a 250 batting average. Call it four stolen bases. I think that'll play considering where he's being drafted. The caveat is, like I said, if he starts getting pushed up a lot because of the signing, he starts going in the top 200. That's where I'd probably, you know, put the put the brakes on a little bit. I still wouldn't think it's terrible. Uh, but I, I like him because of the value you're currently getting because he's just going so far down the board. As of right now, he's he's pretty far down the board. If he keeps going up, then that's when we might have a bit of pause. But for right now, uh, if you're drafting and you're getting him in that range, I'd be, I'd be pretty happy to do it. One more player we are going to talk about today is Taylor Rogers. Taylor Rogers signed, I believe, a three yeah three-year, $33 million deal with San Francisco. He is going to be another member of their bullpen. And the question is, what role will he play in this bullpen? Will he be the closer? Will he be platooning as the closer with Camilo Duvall? I mean, we've heard throughout the offseason that they wanted to bring in somebody to replace Duvall, to platoon with him. Not really sure what was going to happen there. But they brought in Taylor Rogers, who was one of the league leaders in saves last year. Despite his absolutely brutal ERA of 476, he gave you 31 saves. Between him and Doval, and then you got a couple other decent pieces in that bullpen, including Rogers' brother Tyler, which is just as a side note, kind of cool. 
that you got two brothers who are going to be coming out of games, you know, potentially one inning, one brother, next inning, another brother. Very cool stuff. I don't have any brothers, but if I did, that would be but a, a dream come true to be able to, you know, take the field with them, come into a game after them. Maybe you blow your brother's, you know, chance at a win or something like that and get a little sour over the dinner table. Kind of, I don't know. I think that that's really cool. Uh, in terms of fantasy outlook, it's really, really, really hard to say right now. I don't think that Doval's role is going to be that secure as the closer. I mean, I think he probably goes into the year starting off as the closer still, but he has to be pretty perfect at this point so he doesn't get replaced by Taylor Rogers because Taylor Rogers is somebody who can go out there and he can save games. Not to say he will be doing it at an elite level, but he gave you a really strong 31 saves this year. These last couple of seasons, he hasn't been out there too much, but he's still been the closer for Minnesota when he was there for the most part. And then in 2019, he gave you 30 saves as well. For the career, a 342 ERA that did get ballooned by the 476 this season over 64 innings. But I think that he is still a really quality reliever coming out of the bullpen. And maybe what they do is maybe they do a little lefty-righty matchup thing. <clears throat> if, we're, if you're going into the bottom of the ninth or whatever and there are two left-handed batters and a righty coming out, maybe they give it to Rodgers. If it's, you know, three right-handed batters, maybe it's Doval. I, I don't know really how to say <clears> – excuse me, guys. I really don't know how to properly analyze this move because I don't know what San Francisco is going to do. I think that there's likelihood of a platoon is pretty strong. I don't think that Rodgers will just be given the role. I think it, it is possible – and maybe Doval goes into a setup role. But I would expect that they at least go into the year with Doval as the ninth inning guy, with Rodgers as the eighth inning guy, and they they work from there, maybe matchup dependent a little bit. Maybe they switched around. But they both get nerfed, essentially. Like, they're... In the long run, they will both, I think, be nerfed. And, and the reason I'm so hesitant is because I just really don't know what the plan is here. If we get some clarity from San Francisco, that'll lead drafters, early drafters, to probably have a clear idea. Uh, but right now, I don't think it hurts to speculate on Taylor Rogers. Pick 290 off the board on average in draft champions. He's going more than 200 picks later than Doval, and there is a chance that he just takes over and gets majority or at least partial saves there. Uh, I think that he is worth a play in draft champions. I don't know that right now, and it doesn't really affect you right now in terms of your standard 10 and 12 teamers. I don't know that I would draft necessarily either of them with confidence. Doval will be drafted for sure. Rodgers probably will too, depending on what news we get throughout the offseason. Uh, but I think they're both likely going to be nerfed to at least some degree by the fact that they are both playing for the same team now. Even if Doval starts as the closer, there will be uh, probably chances for Rodgers as well, which will take away from his. And then, of course, other random guys getting save opportunities. Doval had 27 saves last year. I don't know that we're going to see. Maybe we will see 20, 25 again. But it, it's it's definitely a trickier situation at this point. It's one that's really hard to actually figure out for fantasy purposes and you know what it's actually kind of great timing because like i've said a few times on the show next week greg jewett is going to be joining us from a reliever recon from the athletic we're going to break down uh relief pitchers and you know we have done most of our sp review shows we're going to do a few more <clears throat> i'm guessing probably probably three more sp reviews and then we're going to have uh greg on midweek late 
late week next week. I think it'll be Thursday. And then that show might be coming out either Thursday or Friday. Uh, and we'll talk to him. I'll ask him this exact question to see what he thinks. I think it'll likely be a platoon. I think it's probably a little bit too early to say. Uh, I'm very glad it's the weekend because my throat definitely needs uh, a bit of a rest after podcasting this week. I'm going to let you guys go there because I am starting to feel uh, a little bit unwell at this point um, in the throat. And I, and I do apologize for the, for the coughing and the clearing of the throat a little bit. I will see you guys on Monday when we get back to the SP reviews, assuming, of course, that the world doesn't end, that there are no more crazy trades that go on and we have to talk about because maybe there will be a bunch of trades over the weekend and we have to talk about them on Monday. It's a chance. I do intend on doing three more, at least, SP reviews, getting through probably 20 or so more names, and then we'll move into relievers and then... Then the rest of the offseason, we have to look forward. Instead of looking back, we will do mock drafts. We will do team breakdowns. There's still a lot of content. Make sure you don't miss it at Ethos Fantasy BB. That is where you can find all of our great content, articles, podcasts, different notes that go out on Twitter, polls, all the rest of it, Ethos Fantasy BB. My personal account, at JoeOrico99. That is where you guys should go ahead and drop a follow if you want to see my own work, if you want to see you know things that I have to say, different thoughts throughout the day, whatever. Uh, at Joe Orico 99 guys if you could leave a review on the show before you guys head out for the weekend I'd really appreciate that let us know what you think positive or negative let us know whether it's you know five stars four stars three stars leave a couple of words there and let us know how we've been doing what you guys think of the show but guys that is it for us for this week I uh, really appreciate you guys checking us out of course throughout this offseason it really means a lot we'll see you on Monday take care happy holidays Merry Christmas to those of you celebrating and cheers everybody take care You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.